Welcome back to The Exchange Podcast. My name is Sabrina Parker, and I created The Exchange Podcast to speak with business leaders, entrepreneurs, and creatives from around the world. Join me as I have meaningful conversations with those who inspire me, and who I hope will inspire you too. For this episode, I am so excited to be joined by Tashaya Ernest. Tashaya is a creative and entrepreneur originally from Flint, Michigan, and now living in New York City. Tashaya attended Kent State University and studied fashion merchandising, visual journalism, and marketing. While in college, she was selected out of 650 applicants for the top prize from the Fashion Scholarship Fund, in which she presented a compelling case study about a hypothetical collaboration between Nordstrom and the menstrual rights advocacy organization, period.org. She's had experience at Nordstrom, the 15% pledge, and currently works for a think tank called Pink Cornrows, which is a public policy, communications, and social impact firm with clients like the Obama Foundation and the New York City Department of Health. At Pink Cornrows, Tashaya specifically manages two accounts, the Fashion Scholarship Fund, which she was a part of in college, as well as the Virtual Abloh Postmodern Scholarship Fund, which is focused on empowering the next generation of Black fashion industry leaders. As if that's not impressive enough, Tashaya is also a freelance photographer and writer and has her own fragrance business, The Rue Fragrances. In our conversation, we spoke about everything from advancing minorities in fashion to Shia's experience solo traveling and what she's excited about in the future of fashion. Hi, Tashaya. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So if there's anybody who doesn't know you, could you kind of give us a quick overview of your life up until now? Of course. So, of course, like you said, I'm Tashaya. I am a creative. I'm an entrepreneur. And of course, of all things, I'm a woman. <laughs> I'm a black woman. Um, so I grew up in Flint, Michigan, and in Flint, Michigan, of course, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of direct uh, resources for creatives or a lot of direct inspiration for creatives, even. But for some reason, I grew up and was led to believe that anything in the creative arts was my passion and the space that I was supposed to be in. So that kind of led me to college to where I majored in fashion merchandising and and minors in marketing and visual journalism, um, all with the thought that I wanted to be in the fashion industry um, as I, in the fashion industry, as I seen on TV and in magazines. Um, So yeah, that kind of led me here through college. I graduated um, after four years, I graduated and I went off and started my career in the corporate space and the buying space. as I mentioned, I really wanted to be more on the creative side, so I knew that wasn't for me, but that kind of led me to really, up until now, pushing to like really fulfill my purpose in the creative side of things by, like I mentioned before, becoming like a, just a full-blown entrepreneur and doing everything that I kind of, just touching on a lot of things. If mm-hmm. that and currently with Pink Cornrows, could you kind of describe what your role there is and also what the company is? Mm-hmm. So Pink Cornrows is kind of defined as a think tank. Um, it's an equity and strategy con- agency, first and foremost. So what they do is they help companies across um, various disciplines and industries, just really less of less of the focus on diversity. I know when people hear about equity, they think of, think of diversity, but less of the focus on diversity of wanting to, um, of course, make a diverse quote unquote world, whatever that may look like for people, but more of the making an equitable space for everybody. So when we think equity at um, Pink Corn Rose, we think safety. So making making each space that they're again tasked with um, helping and assisting make each of those spaces safe and safe and fulfilling for each individual, whether that's like 
a black person, uh, um, Latin, Latinx person, um, indigenous folk, all those things, women, black and brown women, etc. So that's kind of what Pink Corn, Corn Rose is. And yeah, I was kind of led to that work because they they consult for a few fashion companies, but I specifically help out with the fashion projects that they work on. Um, and we'll probably get into that later maybe, but that's kind of what my work is there is just helping them, consulting for them in a way where they're helping these other companies become more equitable. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned how you started a little bit more on the corporate side with buying. How did you know that that wasn't really for you? And how did you eventually make the move into the creative side? That's a good question. So I interned there first. I really, I interned there first. I loved it for, I had never, one, had never know, known anybody in the corporate space. Like all of that I seen was very much so like blue collar jobs. I didn't really know that this was a real thing until I was, um, kind of like, I wouldn't say they asked me to be an intern. Like I, I didn't really have to apply though, but I think I did like one interview and they said they were going to fly, like I could, they were going to pay for me to stay out in Seattle for, um, a summer. And I was like, "Mm, yeah, (laughs) I'll be there. And I ended up going there. I went to Seattle to, um, intern at Nordstrom's at their headquarters in the buying office. And then I was assigned the designer beauty category. So I've also always been passionate about beauty. I kind of look at that as fashion as well. And yeah, when I when I heard beauty, I kind of like, I even though I knew I was in buying, quote unquote, it was just like, whatever I can do to like, learn about all realms of beauty in this space that I'm in. And so I kind of like, even through our projects and even through like the lens in which I approach things, I kind of looked at things through a marketing lens versus a merchant lens. And when I thought about it that way, and of course, when you're an intern, you have the flexibility to kind of do so without, of course, getting like fired or like whatever the hell else that you're seeing, whatever the heck else that they um, they try to do. But I was like, dang. So when I finally go into the workforce, I can't really like jump around in careers. I have to be in my lane. And the lane that I didn't like was the buying side. Like it was interesting. It was cute, but it wasn't for me. And so, yeah, I knew that that wasn't going to be for me as an intern. But when I graduated in 2020, it was kind of like, I wouldn't say it was my only option, but it was a safe option to continue my career there, at least to start. Mm -hmm. But I knew as soon as, quote unquote, the world opened up and the world was back to normal, I was going to make my way to New York City and land in somewhere in marketing. Mm -hmm. And for people who are more interested in creative roles, would you recommend that they start in corporate? Like, are there lessons to be learned there that you can take into the creative spaces? Or do you recommend just making a beeline into creative right away? That's a really good, that's a really good question. I don't, I honestly think it's, and it's obviously cliche as people always say with questions like this, I think it's really up to the person. Like for me, my end goal, like I won't say that again, I drew this plan out. Um, I could never say that, but my end goal is to be an entrepreneur, like full blown, like whatever that may look like for me. And so I know personally that I like to, I'm curious about all aspects of the business. I'm curious about all aspects of a lot of things. So to me, going into corporate, I knew I wanted to do that to learn, understand organization, organize, understand structure, understand if I was to um, be a product-based, um, product-based entrepreneur, creative entrepreneur, et cetera, one day I probably want to get my products in retail, understand what the flip side of that is. So I think when you look at it from that lens, I wouldn't say again, oh, like, yeah, as a creative, you should do that. But I think as a creative, one thing that we are innately good at, if even if you don't um, accept it, is that, you know, we can we can kind of make do with whatever we're given. We can make beauty out of it. That's something that I know that I'm passionate and proud to 
say that I'm, um, I have within me. But yeah, I think as a creative, basically to sum it up, I think as a creative, don't say no to corporate, but don't say yes to corporate, but just like wherever you happen to land, whatever is the best situation, just make the best of it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you're very entrepreneurial and want to be an entrepreneur. Do you think it's possible to be entrepreneurial in an existing organization? Mm, I do. I do definitely think that it's it's possible. And to me, I don't know if you've heard of the term like entrepreneur. That's kind of what it that's kind of what it feels like to me. And I think honestly, because as we all don't really know where we're going to end up um, in the next couple years or whatever the case may be, um, it's as sure as we may seem. If you would have asked me a couple years ago, I would have been very sure as to where I was going to be in a couple um, months, years, weeks. But as COVID has taught us, we don't really know where we're going to be. But I think even if I did end up in a corporate space in the next week, next month, next year, I will still probably operate as an entrepreneur. So I think it's very possible. And also, I think I implore people, I implore people, whether they they don't call themselves an entrepreneur or not, to kind of approach a corporate or a structural space like that as an entrepreneur. Um, that's where innovation and good leadership happens. So. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and your accounts at Pink Cornrows include the Fashion Scholarship Fund and the Virgil Abloh Modern Scholarship Fund. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what each of those funds were and what your kind of role is with respect to them. Yeah. So the Fashion Scholarship Fund is its kind of like, I couldn't verbatim tell you what the organization is. Um, I was a part of it in college, so that's kind of how I got into the ecosystem. But the Fashion Scholarship Fund is, to me, kind of like a pipe, it's a, it's a pipeline for fashion professionals, fashion retail business professionals to um, get in the industry and like get their footing in the industry and then we kind of help cultivate them. And the Virgil Abloh Postmodern Scholarship Fund is associated with that. It's right, it's, a, um, it's the Fashion Scholarship Fund is umbrella and the Postmodern Scholarship Fund is the kind of underlying thing. Virgil Abloh partnered with the Fashion Scholarship Fund to create his own scholarship under them. And the Virgil Abloh Scholarship specifically serves Black people. So yeah, so the Fashion Scholarship Fund is tasked with, of course, helping cultivate talent from college and then also even cultivating their alumni talent and supporting them throughout their career. But one thing in which that you probably already recognize and like kind of feel is that, of course, you know, there's a one going back to the equity piece, there's a different way in which we have to support different groups of people. It's not all you know, the same, like where it's not, the support is, it can't be monolithic. That's kind of what Pink Corn Rose was tapped on them to help them do. Um, so how do we support our black and brown people within fashion? Or how do we even get black and brown people with like in fashion in general, because of course we're kept out. So yeah, that's kind of how Pink Corn Rose connects to Fashion Scholarship Fund. And I think the interesting thing, again, about the Virgil Abloh Postmodern Scholarship Fund is his, his ability to as all of us, or most of us as black people, black and brown people probably already felt the, the you know, inequities within the industry, his ability to like use his privilege and power to like create something that calls out the industry to do so. And even after he's passed, his legacy is to cultivate these groups of scholars that we are tasked with on the FSF side or the postmodern side with helping them throughout their careers. So yeah, that's kind of what I do with both of those organizations, I just help build the strategies and build the thought behind what it could look like to support these black and brown people. But also, like, what do we need to provide these scholars or students or alum specifically mm-hmm. to help them 
integrate into college, but also successfully like feel safe going back to that safety word, safe and secure and fulfilled within the industry when they actually enter it or as they navigate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super inspiring. But then on like a more daily basis, what kind of responsibilities would you have if you could walk us through kind of a typical day for you? Mm -hmm. So daily responsibilities, they vary. Um, it's typically, it's typically like kind of like a task by task thing. Luckily, again, what I like, what I enjoy about the specific work is it's flexible. So it's not like, um, I'm on the computer all day, nine to five, like looking at Excel sheets. It's kind of based off of, it's need-based. It's flexible and it's need-based. So for example, now we are gearing up recently, the, the new class of Virgil Abloh scholars just got announced. So now we're gearing up to, um, we're gearing up to, like what does that support again for this class look like? And also what does it look like for this whole new group of X amount of scholars? I think it's about 30 something. What does it look like? Like what, what do each of these people need and what do they, what kind of programs, what kind of spaces, what kind of people do they need to interact with to actually feel supported? And also trying to find these people jobs. Like I don't personally do that part of things, but that's, that's what we promised these scholars is jobs or internship placements. So like what, what spaces in the industry are safe again, safe for them, or what spaces in the industry would be match their wildest dreams or succeed their, or supersede their wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. And there are many, many facets to the fashion industry, but why did you feel called to this type of work specifically? That's a really good question. That is a really good question. I think, well, I know, I know that what calls me into this specific side of like the work that I do, I always, and I was telling um, Ify, who's the founder of Pink Corn Rose this other day, I've always, I've never was like, oh, I want to go into stuff equity based, but I've always led with equity in like my heart. And I know it's because I understand still and I understand what it feels, I understand still and I understand even deeply what it feels like to like enter this space where it's not built for you um, or enter a space where you felt like you can never get here. And now that you're here or now that you're close and you're just like, I just need somebody to, you know, push me a little bit over. Or um, I understand again now presently what it feels like to kind of have like a disadvantage in some ways, like to be privileged in some ways, but also to have a disadvantage from your dreams. And that's not fair. Um, so within any space, any creative realm, even if I was in music, if I was in fashion, if I would, or I am in fashion, but if I was in remained in fashion, if I was in film, like there's always a certain voice, a certain person, a certain, um, you know, human that's left out. And I think I'm led to, or I know I'm led to be another voice of reason for how can we help them create a space and how can we create this space that's best for all of us? Cause of course it is not best for six, six out of the 10 is, it can't be great for everybody. So yeah, that's kind of what led me to this work is low key is selfish, but selfless at the same time is like to figure out how I can create a space that I would want to be a part of, but also how can I create a space where my family could come basically me and the fam can mm -hmm. join in. So. Mm -hmm. And I know you have other kind of interests in terms of photography and writing. How do you kind of grapple with having those many different interests instead of just picking one? Yeah. That's something that I'm still grappling with in terms of time for one, but also in terms of explanations. Like it's kind of hard at this stage in my life to communicate, especially when we're talking about to mentors or especially when we're talking about even just like our generation being Gen Z to like whatever the generation, baby boomers and et cetera, because they're not used to that multi-hyphenate, um, 
multi-dimensional renaissance type of career that our generations are building um, for themselves. So it's kind of hard to like grapple with all these interests, but I do it. And I think the re- the way that it kind of just comes easy is because all the things I, I, of course, I lead and I operate within all of my realms of passion. So like photography has always been a photography and image making in general has always been a passion of mine. Even if I didn't act on it when I was young, well, I did act on when I was younger, but even if I like left it out in college, I found it during COVID and I continued it. So it's kind of like, luckily again, which I've kind of realized that is a um, commonality within a lot of people in our generation, as you're doing now with your podcast, it's like, oh, you just, you kind of pick something up and find like, and find the passion within it and you keep going because like, you like, it feels like to, to stop is kind of to stop breathing almost. So that's kind of how I operate day to day in terms of like that. And then with my, like my fragrance business and then like with any other things that I kind of dabble in is literally just being like, hmm, what do I feel like doing today? And I get it. Like, of course, we only have 24 hours in a day, but it's like, what do, what do I feel like doing today? And how do I make that happen? And typically mm-hmm. it's always for the past couple of years, it's fell into, oh, I want to create content for somebody. Oh, I want to have a photo shoot or I want to put my services out in photography or, oh, I want to build this candle business because I want to learn how to build a business from scratch. So yeah, that's kind of how I operate <laughs> all over the place, but mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how has your experience been with your fragrance business and kind of being a full-fledged entrepreneur in that way? Is there anything that you maybe didn't expect? Yeah, I definitely didn't expect a lot of things within like product based, a lot of things within business in general is out of your control, but <laughs> just like life, but a lot of things within product based businesses are one out of control, hella. And you can see that from, of course, like COVID and stuff like that, just like shipping delays and et cetera, et cetera, and supply chain issues. But it's interesting because it's like, although I didn't like, of course, to the highest extent, um, like a Macy's suffered or Amazon suffered with like supply chain issues. Of course, I didn't experience it at that level because I'm not to that scale. But it's interesting when you have to do most things, like I have my partner supporting me, but it's like when you have to manage all of this by yourself, it, it, it kind of tests your knowledge for one and it tests your grit. <laughs> so that's one thing that I kind of already got from that experience, but also just being able to like, really do whatever you want like it was just like I, I sometimes have I sometimes forget that it's no rule book to anything that you create on your own like even with your podcast if you want it to you can do another interview tomorrow like it's not it doesn't have to all be corporate and like oh I have to post one every single week it could be two a week none next week like whatever works for you as long as it's consistent and learning that has been a good test to like oh that's technically life like as, as much as when you're in school you're kind of taught that oh, classes are from here to here. It's like, no, (laughs) if you have anything that you call your own and you have that responsibility, you can build it in any way. It's kind of like having a bunch of Lego blocks and just doing whatever without the instructions. So it's it's been inspiring in that way because like now I feel like I can almost do anything. Like I I can figure it out. Like everything's figure outable. So I think that's the takeaway from like starting and maintaining the business thus far. Mm-hmm. And one of your YouTube videos, you mentioned a concept called the 12 week year, which is super inspiring. I was wondering if you could explain that a little bit more and also how that pertains to having goals and having many interests that you're pursuing. Yeah. So the 12 week year is something is a book actually, but it's something that I've, I've tried to adopt. And to be honest, this year, I'm like, as of, of course, the year just started, but I, I did my goals a little different just to like, see how that works. I, I experiment a lot, but 
it's 12 week, 12 week years breaking things down based off of quarters kind of for the most part and like writing down your top X amount of goals. So for most people, of course, that'd probably be like top, like eight goals under eight or five or something. And it would be writing down those goals and they're all goals that you hope to have it within eight weeks and not thinking too far in advance and then breaking it down by steps and little tiny action steps. So how that, how I noticed that that worked best for me at the time that I like was actually like going by that type of outline is because like, of course, coming from school, school or even not being too far removed. Now we operate within that semester timeline. And so like having that thought of like, hmm, how can I make it like to what led me to the book is trying to figure out, of course, like a system of writing goals. That's not just a whole bunch of bullet points on the paper. It's like, how can I play my game that I've already learned for the past 22 years that we're in school and like make it relevant to now? So yeah, is you writing down your goals? Say, for example, you wanted to grow this pot or you want to start a podcast even, or you want to get your goal will probably be since you already started it is to be like, oh, I want to get done season one or season one of your podcast. And that's 12 episodes it's like maybe the first step is of course you already knocked out like the vision and the mission and all of those things and like the plan behind the podcast but then the next goal would be figure out eight of your you know eight, the eight people that you want to interview for each of the eight episodes and etc cetera, etc cetera. and then at the 12 week year all those goals should be completed and now you move on to your next quarter but it's another good way of like having that break of like 12 weeks is over this quarter is up how can I refresh the next quarter Mm -hmm. And on the topic of kind of goals and intentions, you've also written about how when you travel, you kind of set an intention once you arrive in a new place. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about why you do that. Yeah, so I'm a very intentional person in terms of, I don't know, like, I think it's so crazy to me when, like, we show up in any space without, like, a thought of why we're there. And so, one, I just, I feel so blessed. I feel so privileged to be able to travel as much as I do now for leisure reasons, mostly, but like I hadn't, me or none of my family had been out of the country specifically until I had studied abroad in college. And now it's just been like, I can't stop. And now that I'm able to travel and able to see these places, every time I go somewhere, going back to the question, every time I go somewhere, I'm just like, okay, what do I want out of this experience? Because of course, traveling is a lot of money. And for the most part, I, unless it's literally just like me wanting to go there for a specific reason or an event or something, for the most part, I'm going off of whelm, off of just like off of a feeling and not just like, oh, I want to go here because I want to party and drink or whatever the case may be is literally because I'm like, oh, I want something as a creative filler for me. Or I want something as like a, I want to connect with people deeply, like, or I want to, I want to get closer to like what I think my roots are, or, or I want to, I'm learning this language. Maybe I want to go to France, et cetera, et cetera. So it's important to me, not just of course in traveling to set out the intention because now going back to the checks and balances of the, the goals question, now you can check yourself and be like, okay, did I get out of this experience what I wanted to get out of it? And of course, most times it supersedes what you wanted to get out of it, or it might not, it might be completely different. But I think to approach anything, including traveling like that, it's kind of, I don't know, it's a beautiful reminder of like why you do things and not just like, you know, living life on the edge. <laughs> mm -hmm. And do you think that sort of reflection or the ability to kind of fulfill that intention is easier when you're on a solo trip versus maybe with friends or family? Mm -hmm. To be honest, yes. <laughs> I think it's because I, like, I have a few friends that I'm like, I really enjoy traveling with and traveling with them feels like traveling with me twice. Like, it feels like mm -hmm. I'm traveling with a twin. But like, to be honest, yes, because when you travel alone, one, just like when you're alone in your room, 
for the most part, you're left with just you and what, what you can control. But I think when you travel alone, it's interesting because it's like now you're in a new environment and it's something about being in a new environment that's not just, oh, I'm going to the grocery store, going to like the city over. It's something about being all the way in France by yourself and being forced to operate where one, you probably don't speak the language fluently or two, you're, you don't know what this story is up the street. Like you're unfamiliar with everything. It's something about the beauty of only being familiar with yourself. And it's like crazy because every time I, I've only been to two or three solo trips and or two big ones, but like one just like city solo trip. But the two times that I did go to a big solo trip by myself, it's just like I come back different or I come back like more of a sense of who I am versus like who the world is, if that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. I went to London this past summer. It wasn't exactly a solo trip because my family came with me at the beginning, but then mm -hmm. I stayed for another three weeks or so doing a course and they left and it was like the best experience ever. Exactly. I know. <laughs> Maybe my parents don't want me to say that, but it was it was great to just find myself in that way, kind of touching on what you said. Yeah, I'm a whole different person. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I also was wondering if I could ask you about Emmanuel and Amanda, mm -hmm. who you had written about, because I was really curious to know more about that story, if you could share. Mm -hmm. So really, it was just interesting, because like, I don't remember too much about the situation, because I was junior in college, so dang near three years ago now, but I do remember, it was just crazy because it was like we were, we were in Rome me and my friends and that was just like a trip I studied abroad in Florence and so like Rome of course is not too far away and when we went there we didn't have any expectations on the trip but we met Emmanuel who was from Canada and he was a black man and we also ran into Amanda who was from Brazil um and we ran into them we were like I think we stayed at a hostel maybe and we were just like downstairs and we all kind of like just as black people across the diaspora. That was, that's what like got us. We were like, dang, this is crazy. Like we all just kind of clicked at one moment and we just like connected from here on, there on out. And we're just like, it's crazy that again, we're sitting in this room, Amanda, she, she spoke Portuguese as well, but she also spoke English. But for all of us to be in this space and it just be like, we all connect over all I can explain it to be is like blackness. Like mm -hmm. we're all over blackness but we're all from totally different parts of the world totally different experiences I don't know like it was just, other than that it was just like yeah like this is kind of wild how you just like meet people from across the pond as they call it mm -hmm. and, I don't know just connect like that yeah I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about you moving to New York could you share a little bit more about how that process kind of went about mm -hmm. so it's interesting because it's like I always knew I was and I wanted to like New York but it was an interesting thing because it's like, as much as I saw myself here, because I always could, again, going back to like reading fashion magazines, watching movies, like I always knew this was the place where I wanted to be, but it didn't seem accessible. So it was just like, nah. but it also wasn't like, oh, a dream killer. Like I can't move to New York. It was just more so like, how am I going to get to New York? How am I going to live there? What type of people live there? But studying abroad here, it completely changed my life. Like I'm like, I love New York. Like I really didn't know I was going to like make it here. Like it's not normal for someone from my circumstances back home to kind of uproot their lives in a, in a sense and like move here and like create a whole new life none of my people have still been here yet like it feels like new york for some reason to my family and to a lot of people that i grew up with kind of feels like a different country like they'll go to jamaica before they go to new york it's kind of weird. <laughs> um but yeah like i don't know like i moving here was moving here to study just for like temporarily was life-changing like it was like every day it was inspiring and it still is every day is inspiring. And when it's not, I'll move probably, but every day 
it's inspiring and I don't, it was it just was a feeling that I had never felt before about a place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about was mentorship. Did you ever have any mentors, whether they were people that you knew personally or kind of watched from afar that inspired you? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. So mentorship, I didn't have my first mentor until I was in college. I didn't know the concept of, I never had heard that word or like most people probably haven't either until they were in college because it's kind of like talked about so much, but I hadn't heard of that word, but how one of my professors, how she kind of, not brought me in because that sounds like she was like my mom, but how she kind of like brought me in and like kind of like told me about all of these different opportunities that in which it was my task and my duty, of course, to actually do the things. But like when her, by her, like kind of like cultivating me in that way, it was kind of like, oh, that's what mentorship is. So it took me into about junior year to realize that she was being a mentor to me. And by then I had went off to Nordstrom for my internship that summer and I got like four mentors from Nordstrom and it was just like all these women for one, when you think of mentorship, you kind of, or when I think of mentorship, I kind of think of, oh, they're probably going to look like me or they're probably going to be like a black woman, like ideally or whatever. And all of these women were non-black. They felt compelled to like help me because they probably also felt like I can help them fulfill something. So it was very, not transactional because that's, I don't like that word, but it was very like reciprocal reciprocal in that way but also just like very ordained if that makes sense and then digital mentors (laughs) I have a lot of digital mentors that's one thing that I said about said on LinkedIn um, the other day it's like if you you can make anybody your mentor if you just like look and seek them out um and hopefully of course one day they know you but really I just I make a list I literally make a physical list of all the people that I am attracted to in a um, professional manner, personal manner, personal, not so much because of course you never know people's lives for real, um, unless you know them personally, but professional level specifically, or like maybe athletic level or whatever. I write these people down. I write down what I admire or if they were my actual mentor, like in person and physically, if they knew me, what would I be asking them for? I kind of write those things down and I seek them out. I read all the books that they're being right. Like Issa Rae is a huge mentor of mine, but she ain't like, <laughs> I write down or of course like she has opera black girl like I've consumed all the things that she puts her names behind so even like her shows I consume those to like in a way study from her like I watch all of her interviews just to like pick up on certain gems that she may drop that she might not even realize that she's dropping but it all makes a story and it's like oh like if I did get to know her one there's not much yes there's questions that I would have but there's not much that I would ask of her because like she's already teaching me and that's why people do a lot of like the mentor, the books and the podcasts and stuff, because like nobody has enough time in the world to help everybody, but they're helping everybody with like a certain, you know, literally what they're doing on a day to day basis. So I have a lot of digital mentors. basically, mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about it a lot. Like we're very lucky to be in the digital age in the sense that you can literally find anyone anywhere and be inspired by what they're doing. Yes. Yes. And one day, literally when your podcast grows, it's going to be, you're going to have a big docket of mentors that people can go out to. And it's like, Mm -hmm. of course, again, ideally one day you'll get to know that person for real, but it's like, you're helping create that space and that ecosystem of like mentors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the last questions that I wanted to ask you is what are you excited about in the future for fashion? Ooh, that is such a good question. I am, wow. I am very, very excited. I'm excited about a lot. For one, I'm a very excited person. Um, (laughs) I'm excited about what true equity and like 
true accessibility looks like. And to expound on that, we're getting so, not even so close, but we're getting closer. And of course, like it could take 20 years, but like each day, I think we do take a step towards it as hard as as, as tough it may be and as difficult and uncomfortable. But I think the industry as a whole takes steps closer to the right, or I'm gonna say the right side because it's my side, but to the side of like true inclusivity, true diversity, true accessibility, true equity, and et cetera. I'm excited for what that really looks like for one, we'll, me and you both will probably be in our 40s. I'm just playing, but we'll be like um, more seasoned, but like for our children, our children's children, and even like within the next coming, even when we talk about within our 20s, like I'm excited for the industry, of course, it's changed so much within like since I've been in college. Like I remember when I first entered college, I was, it just looked completely different. And it's crazy that I'm two years removed now. And it's like, so it's been six years since I recognized that it changed imagine what it'll do in six more years. Like it's changed so much during COVID. So it's like imagining what it's going to change to look like. That's what drives me. The, the true equity part, the the accessibility part of, again, like kind of like the work we do at Pink Cornrows of making it so where a girl like me from Flint, Michigan or a person from Akron, Ohio can enter this space and not feel uncomfortable or not feel like they have to go buy a Dior bag and a Gucci belt because everybody else is doing it and to like fit in like no I'm ready for people from all walks of life to be able to enter this space and to like live their dream life so I don't know I think that's happening I think that in combination with even though they're kind of cross-functional but that in combination with like the creator economy I'm excited for people and women like us to be able to do all things across fashion if we want to if a person does want to be in corporate, they can, of course, also start a podcast. And that's also to be an entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial. I'm excited for that for me. I'm excited for that for you and every, every anybody else that's interested in that. I'm excited also for the money part, going back to the part of like people, how people can do almost any and all things. Like we don't have to settle for, there's, of course, it's not that, it's not that frowned upon as it was probably a couple years ago to like job hop and like really go follow your passion so I'm excited that we get to live in that space that's what I'm mm-hmm. excited about I'm excited to basically live our best lives <laughs> mm-hmm. I think we'll end it there for this time but that was super inspiring I was so grateful to learn more about your story and your views on things so thank you very much of course thank you thank you that conversation, please be sure to leave a review and stay tuned for the next episode.